Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Today's episode of Ask Altature is being brought to you by us, the Choose Yourself Network. By now, you've probably heard James say that choosing yourself is about making sure you have multiple streams of income. Well, if you're retired or just looking for side income, we've put together a free business plan for you. You can download it right now at jamesaltature.com backslash income. It's a great idea perfect for anyone looking to build multiple streams of income. You probably walk around every day and see plenty of opportunities, but who has the time to chase them all? Instead, James has started keeping track of his best ideas, those that anyone can do. One of them is so unique he wanted to share it with you. So just go to jamesaltucher.com backslash income and download his free report today. And now, here's today's episode of Ask Altucher. Hope you enjoy. Don't let the mysteries of life scare you away. Instead, ask Altucher. Here's James Altucher. So, if you okay. don't, if you if you remember on Friday, I recommended you guys Google YouTube Mozart rap. That would have taken you to the. YouTube video done by this guy, Mac Lethal. It's amazing. And now I decided I would call Mac and actually have him on the podcast. So, Mac, how's it going? It's, it's going, going amazing. amazing. Thank, Thank you, you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Mac, I had never even, like, seen your stuff before, which is my fault completely. You're an amazing talent. But the way you did that fast rap over the Mozart song with kind of an inspirational message was incredible. I want to get to your full backstory, but what made you come up with that exact idea? Um, I am a fan of, uh, I like rap music and I like uh, a lot of the entertainment that is coming out today by the younger generation. Um, I like being on social media. I like TV, but a lot of times I find if I spend too much time indulging in modern music or social media, uh, I start to get a weird um, kind of numbness in my brain. And I feel like I'm on this constant loop that drains my central nervous system and makes me very tired and agitated. So a lot of times what I will do is shut off all technology uh, and go turn on AM radio in Kansas City and listen to classical music. To you're, kind of you're, you're like the only person. My brain of all. You're probably the only person in Kansas City listening to AM radio when you do that. Very likely. It's <laughs> very likely. Um, I listen to uh, classical music and I feel like it frees my brain from the kind of never ending junk loop that is the internet. And uh, I was listening to it and they played that song. Um, the Turkish March, March, and I had the idea. I just kind of started rapping along with it, and um, it kind of was what it was. I didn't really decide to put uh, an inspirational connotation to it. It just kind of came together that way. But, you know, I kind of think, you know, now I've listened to a whole bunch of your, your rap, uh, including the one that inspired uh, Ellen DeGeneres to have you on her show, which is your alphabet rap. And it seems like your rap has like two or three qualities to it. One is it's very fast. Like it's clear 
your talent is like through the roof. I I don't even know any. I've never even heard rap that fast. Uh, and the other quality is there seems to be kind of um almost like a th- a theme. Like this one was you combined rap with Mozart. Another one is rap rap with the alphabet. And then a third quality is there there does seem to be kind of a clean element to it. Like you're not doing like your typical let's say gangster rap or anything like that. Yeah, you know, because that's not who I am. And um, I think that there are uh, a lot of good qualities to rap music. And I love, you know, gangster rap and all the rap uh, that has existed before um, what exists now. But um, when I set out to do it, I just kind of felt like I didn't fit uh, the uh, uh, repertoire that that gangster rappers fit in and I didn't have those qualities. So I uh, just started being myself and I kind of found that the things that I talk about in my rap raps are uh, very true to who I am as a person. So, you know, the alphabet tongue twister rap was more just having fun with alliteration. And, and I like the idea that uh, the letters kind of dictate what the story is. Um, and uh, the, the Mozart rap or the pancake rap, these are all things where I just, I like to have substance and I like, I like him to be a little off key. Um, so, so just to be clear also, the, that, the, the pancake rap now has 33 million YouTube views. Did you ever, did you think it would be that big? Yes. I had no idea. It was one of those things. And I know that you can relate to this where you can't, you can't predict it and you just kind of hope for the best. And sometimes they work out and, and explode like that. And sometimes they do not. Um, I had absolutely no idea that that would happen. I, I uploaded it and I just was like, you know, if this gets a hundred thousand views, I'll be happy. And there it is. There almost 34 million views now. Oh my gosh. So let's reel it back. Like, how did you, get into this because this seems like it seems like this is your career now like you you're all over youtube you have your own record label as well black clover records uh but how did you get started um it was honestly um from a place of boredom when i was in high school um i wasn't a good student i didn't get good grades um not because I didn't understand the material, but I think a lot of people relate to this in the public school system. Uh, it's it's very mind-numbing, and it doesn't engage uh, a 17-year-old kid's brain, especially someone with more uh, artistic qualities. Um, so during study hall, I used to sit there and just write raps because I had literally nothing else to do. I could sleep um, and... That was about it. But if I wasn't tired, I would have to sit there and do something else because I wasn't going to do homework. I just, I, I, and I'm not proud of that necessarily. If I could go back, maybe I would have taken my education more seriously. But at the time, I just wasn't inspired by schoolwork. I was inspired by being creative and wanting to write lyrics. And I was a big fan of rap music. It, it wasn't necessarily my passion. It wasn't something I, I dreamt of doing. It's just kind of something that out of boredom I started doing and it started working. And I just said, you know, maybe I should put a hundred my a hundred percent of myself into this. It's so, just another valve release for create the creativity that I feel like I have, that a lot of people have. Do you feel like you became more passionate with it as you became better at it? No question. And that uh, is true. Even yesterday, I, I spent probably 13, 14 hours yesterday obsessing over uh, the rhythms that were coming out of certain new rap songs by certain artists and, and really, really breaking down the way they fit into the pocket on the beat and how they enunciate their syllables. So, yeah, I mean, it's I appreciate it more. I'm more passionate about it now. And now, 17 years later, uh, it's a, a deep part of me but so so, so that's that's an interesting number more na- the, the, and sorry i'm i tend to be an interrupter so sorry about that but you're but, fine don't worry about it don't worry about it 17 years you've been working at this uh and when would you yes. say you first kind of felt like you were hitting a tipping point where you were going over the top um i would say 2000 and I don't know. You know, it it keeps getting bigger every year and I keep it becomes something new every year. I would say 2011, which is when the pancake rap and my book 
and blog texts from Bennett uh, were both number one and number two on the main page of Reddit at the same time. Oh my um, gosh. And I don't even know if anybody's ever done that before, but I had number one and number two on the, the main page of Reddit at the same time, and it absolutely exploded. I would say that was one time in in all of my years where I said, this is significant. Um, I charted on Billboard for how many social media followers I added within one week. I was like number 30-something on Billboard. I didn't even know that there was a thing. Uh, a chart on Billboard for social media uh, influencers um, based fine. on how many followers or how many views they got in one week. But I found out that week. Um, I would say that was a that was a long time. It was a long time coming, and it, it was an extreme amount of success all at once. And then you know, over a year or so, it, it came back down to a more manageable level. And then being on Ellen. Uh, was another that was another milestone. I mean, you always, I think, in in a pursuit like this, you want to make sure you have a couple milestones each year. At least I do. Every year, I like to have two or three things where I feel like I I made some progress. And some years are better than others, but if you're constantly moving forward and and constantly having, you know tiny little hits that that keep you producing and keep you pushing forward i think that you can call it a success so that's what i try to do every year and i've had luckily been fortunate enough to have a couple very big successes well let's take like um so you so it was 17 years ago you were in high school just starting to do this what were some of your successes like let's say in year four year five like people could kind of look at this and say oh my gosh 17 years to create uh, a career uh, I don't have, I don't have that time. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing is, is when you're becoming an artist or you're becoming your own unique voice, a musician, a comedian, an actor, a lot of times it takes about 20 years, which I'm not even at yet, but it, it takes about 20 years before you're even a, a unique voice and you're not just parroting your influences and the people that you grew up listening to. So you know, year three or year four, a success for me would just be being able to competently write a rap verse uh, that wasn't an embarrassment, that wasn't something that all my friends would laugh at. If I could make all my friends go, wow, you've gotten a lot better uh, than when you used to annoy us in the car on the ride home from school with uh, the very remedial amateur raps that you used to uh, want to rap to us. So it's always, it just depends on where your level is. I think a lot of people go into these things and they expect within year one, you're going to be a master and you're going to make millions of dollars off of it. You're going to be the greatest that anybody's ever seen. A lot of times that's not the case. In, in the first five years, you're you're still just a, a beginner. Um, so I would say year three, year th four, year five, I was no longer a beginner and I moved into that intermediate stage where I felt like I had an idea of what I was doing. I had a clear idea of who I, uh, in all, if all things went well, would like to be, um, not necessarily the voice that I actually was at the time, but the voice that I wanted to have at some point. And you, you just got to go year by year. And, and if you want to do the thing that you want to do forever, you just start and, you know, in 20 years, hopefully you're actually making a good living and you've actually established something unique that the world has never seen before. So, so I want to ask about what do you think is the difference between a, a total amateur and then you said you started to notice you were writing uh, decent, decent enough raps. Like what were the subtle changes that were different? Uh, in terms of rapping, um, one of the big problems that a lot of people have uh, as a beginner um, is that when a beat plays, when an instrumental plays, staying even with the music, staying in pocket with the music, not falling off beat, not losing rhythm, um, articulating your voice to where it sounds like you have confidence, sounds like you're relaxed, sounds like you are being deliberate with the things that you want to say. Um, that you're, you're not just maybe trying this out, that you actually have a reason to be there and you belong there and you get into year 10 and then it's no longer about those. Those things are, are, are requirements, but in, you know, you get into year 10, you need to start coming up with material that's compelling, 
to people. Um, you need to start writing things where you're maybe trying to explore new territory and your material may still rely on your old influences or people may be able to hear your stuff and directly trace you back to somebody that was uh, prominent in the last few years, one of your influences, but you're starting to sound unique. And then, you know, what I found is in year 15 and 16, you start to become an authentic voice. You become almost a force. And then you see somebody like a great master, like George Carlin, who, uh, you know, it it was like they had, he had the universe in his palm and he had hacked into uh, the mainframe of the universe and was extracting information that we didn't already have and presenting it to us in, in a unique way. And that's kind of the aspiration that I have is is to become almost a wizard with it. It's, it's so funny, right now I feel like I'm good. It, it, it's funny you bring up George Carlin exactly. because it's funny you bring up George Carlin because Louis C.K. often counts George Carlin as a big influence. And I would say it was probably in year 15 of Louis C.K.'s career that he started to find his own unique voice. Like that's when he started talking, being honest about having kids, honest about his marriage. And that's really when his career started to, 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 he already had a great career, but his career really went vertical at that point. Well, he felt like uh, he could have made it and made a decent living just being a, a, you know, a cruise ship, wedding comic and just doing from what my knowledge of the story is, is he had the same set and he did it for like a decade and he would just go out there, stay at the comedy condo, go do his two sets, uh, you know, just plow through them, nothing compelling, nothing inspiring, old jokes. And, uh, I, to my knowledge, it was a lot of Kennison, Sam Kennison inspired stuff and, uh, noises and fart jokes. And then something broke in him, where he just had to hit that raw nerve within himself. And that is absolutely when he became uh, a monstrous success. And it was risky. It was like walking a tightrope for him because he was talking about things that no one had really talked about before. And he was saying things that could have uh, uh, gotten him almost exiled from the comedy world because they were very raw. But luckily for him, they worked out and and people love his stuff and revere him today. So like in in your... 10 for you did you when you say you have to start finding um your own compelling material you have to start writing your own compelling material what was that for you like what were you doing before what did you start doing after uh my first 10 years all i was doing was regurgitating all the songs and not even just rap songs but songs that i've ever heard in my life and i was trying on every single hat possible so i would do a a funny song. I would do a song about, you know, how we need to remember uh, the the victims of September 11th. I would do a song about uh, an ex-girlfriend. And uh, it was all anything that I could think of that maybe uh, gave me a, an emotional signal I would write about. And then what I found over the years is that it felt very unfocused, which is another problem. And another thing that artists have to find, especially if they want to do it on a a level of commerce, is there has to be some sort of focus to your material. You can't be so all over the place that people have absolutely no idea what they're going to get. And my first 10 years, uh, that would be a real problem for me, is I think that people would hear my projects, um, my CDs, and one song would be, you know, funny and, and, uh, goofy and sarcastic and the next song would be serious and then another song would be you know painful and and morose and you got to start kind of whittling the things that you don't need away and creating this uh more solid core of who you are as a person and an artist and that takes a long time and and how did, how did that evolve for you like what what did your voice turn into like what do you think is your more authentic voice I like to say things now, um, everything that I do, I like, and, and by the way, this is obviously up for interpretation. I mean, I can't uh, decide that everybody is going to feel this way about my stuff, but what the idea is, is that I say things that uh, that feel unpredictable, that are imaginative. I like to create uh, passages that feel unique and don't just sound like the status quo rap music or, or any music, really. Um, the, the lyrics of 
the lyrics have to be what I feel are are compelling and quirky, and and I like to play with the English language, and and you know I don't always rap fast. My bigger uh, projects are fast because I think people gravitate towards maybe the gimmick of it. Um, but it, it, what I like to do is I like to use kind of the, the pyrotechnics of rapping fast. And then I like to slip in actually inspiring material. And, and at this point where I'm at, at year 17, I like to say things in my uh, raps that um, help people focus on self-improvement, that uh, inspire people to try to be the better, smarter, stronger, healthier version of themselves. And, that's just kind of the lane that I've chosen. There's a lot of artists out there where their uh, material is heavily steeped in sex or they talk about material things or they talk about freedom or they talk about politics or they talk about relationships. Um, you know, my bread and butter, if you will, creatively, not even necessarily financially, but my bread and butter is just kind of uh, figuring out unique ways to rap and then incorporating um, – imaginative imagery or lyrics that are inspiring and motivate people to be the better, smarter, uh, stronger version of themselves. And so along and that wasn't way, always the case. Right. So, so, so I this apologize. is sort of relatively new. Yeah. I mean, I'd say in the last couple of years, it's kind of what it's evolved into and it's just because that's who I am as a person. And I think one of the most important things has been, what do I believe as a person and what's important to me? And, you know, uh, there was a while there where maybe you could have asked me that question uh, in the early 2000s, even in the late 2000s, and I wouldn't have been able to, to answer you uh, or give you a good answer. Maybe I didn't quite know what my beliefs were, what I felt was important as a person or, you know, I was still experimenting with with all the things that the world has to offer and, and trying drugs and trying dating multiple women and trying, uh, you know, fried food or or. Uh, whatever it is that people get into, um, all the compulsions and all the, the rabbit holes you can fall down. And I think that in my 30s, especially after the past couple of years, because I had a child and got married, I'm much more focused on the things that are important to me, my values as a person, what I, I fundamentally believe as a person is important uh, to staying functional and staying clear-minded. So it seems like every step of the way you avoided the gatekeepers like, uh, from what I understand, you could correct me if I'm wrong, you, uh, you didn't go to college, you didn't sign with a record label, you created your own record label. Um, how did it go economically? Like, were you ever, was there ever a point where you were scared, like, oh, I'm putting all this time into my music and my art, how am I going to survive? Were you ever doubting yourself? Yeah, and I think that... Um... I think that that's always going to be the case for people that are, uh, you know, successful or extreme winners or people that are in hot pursuit of something. It's it shouldn't ever feel 100 percent secure because when it starts to feel 100 percent secure and when you're not scared, you become complacent. And it's it's you know, we've seen it a million times. People no longer feel that need to create inspiring, excuse me, inspired products and uh, music, art, food, whatever it is, you always got to feel motivated to be great. Um, whether that's commerce, finances, uh, security, reputation, whatever it is, there's always got to be a driving force behind you. Um, and a lot of people in their early years uh, with running a business or starting a business, it constantly feels like they've wasted a bunch of time and sunk all of their energy and a lot of times financial resources into something that's ultimately a failure. And I think it's important for people to realize that these things change shapes, they change directions, and you acquire more and more wisdom and intellect and uh, on what you're doing and your craft gets better. You become a better craftsman. You become more of an expert. And these experiences are will always be with you. They leave a permanent mark. So, yes, the fear is always there. And I, I, it has been from the beginning and it still is today. And I'm in a, an excellent spot today. But 
in terms of where I'm going and what my long-term goal is and, and, you know, wanting to make it into my seventies, eighties, nineties, and, and know that I, I gave this everything I could and, and remained as stable as possible. And, didn't ever have to discuss things with the gatekeepers and just did it on my own terms. There's always going to be a, a certain feeling of instability. Um, and that that's what keeps you going though. Did record labels approach you along the way? Yeah, they did, but the deals are never good. And I was into the internet at an early age. My mom, um, was really into computers and we had the internet at my house and I saw where things were going. Now I didn't know that they were going to end up here where we're at today, how crazy everything is with the, the, how fast paced the web is. But I did have an idea that being an independently sustained artist, um, wasn't necessarily going to be a huge challenge. And I, the biggest thing for me was I never wanted to sacrifice my content and my ability to, be creative and do what I wanted because that was the premise of why I started the lunchroom study hall back in high school. I hated authority. I hated being told what to write. I hated being told what to read. I hated being told who to be. So the idea of undoing that and joining up with a major record label and being told what to create, it sounded like almost counterintuitive. Like I should have just stayed in school and gotten a regular nine to five because that's what it ultimately becomes when you sign to a major record label is you just are working a nine to five. But a lot of times it's nine to nine. It's, it's 18 hour days trying to record songs that the big budget record labels like, and that they think are going to work on radio and they never do. And it's, it's, it's no different. It's the same exact thing. You become a, a slave to the grind, which is what I just never wanted to be. It's so funny because I was talking to uh, uh, Luke of the old rap group Two Life Crew, and he had his own record label, which signed his own group Two Life Crew, and all the other guys at that time, like Run DMC or Cool Modi, they were making fun of him because he wasn't signed with one of the major record labels, and yet they would then they would be surprised at the end of a concert he'd be carrying suitcases full of cash home when they would have no money. So he, he sort of like set the standard of uh, it's it's much better to go independent. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you get a much better deal. So sure, there's there's more elbow grease involved and you have, you're have much more responsible for a lot of things. Uh, the responsibility is much greater, but you get a much higher margin in terms of how much profit you make. Well, and well, once you realize that and, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask what I was just saying. Okay, go ahead. When I started, uh, there was no record labels reaching out. And even if they did, I wasn't sure I would have done it anyways. But I, I had material that I recorded at home myself. And it didn't sound good. And it wasn't necessarily polished or finely produced, but it was material that at the time I believed that people needed to hear. And I, I had a lot of local people that wanted to hear it. And I, that this was maybe one of the blessings of growing up in Kansas city is there was nobody out here doing it. So the fact that I was a Kansas city rap artist, everybody wanted to get behind it. So I needed to figure out a way that I could deliver my music to people. MP3s, weren't really um, – the, the technology was not where they are today. The internet wasn't as fast. Burning a CD took an hour, and most people still bought CDs and, and went to the record store. So I had to find a way to manufacture my own CDs, and I found a company in Canada, and they told me how much it was going to cost. It was like $1,500 to get a 1,000 copies of my album uh replicated and reproduced so i saved up my money working at macaroni grill as a bus boy huh. recorded music in my mom's basement uh had my friend who was a studio engineer make it sound as good as possible and then i sent it to canada they sent me 10 boxes back 
full of a thousand CDs. And then I went and sold them hand to hand to people at my high school and to people during summer break that I would see at parties or at the park. And I sold them for $10 and everybody would buy one. That's the thing is, is one of the greatest things is about an independent business is most people support that idea. Even if they don't run their own businesses themselves, everybody loves a hero and not saying I was a hero, but what I realized very quickly, which is something that was uh, good for me, which is something that I think it's common knowledge now, but at the time it wasn't, that when you create your own product and manufacture it yourself and then you go out and sell it hand to hand, there's a certain magic that happens in that transaction with people. And so not only did I get an emotional signal from that and realize that, hey, you know what, I, I you can almost be like a politician where you're going around and, and shaking hands, kissing babies, hugging women, and, and, and people are going to buy your CDs. But also, when you see the profit, it costs $1.50 per CD, and you sell it for $10 a piece. I was making a living then. It wasn't great, but I was making extra money. So it's it's something that was ingrained in me very early, is the independent hustle with music. So, so that's great, because it's almost like an umbrella, because I'm sure you were also making money at your shows, you were making money selling your CDs. Uh, when did, um, you know, there was like multiple outlets for you to, to make revenues. When did the YouTube stuff start kicking in? YouTube started kicking in in, uh, I want to say, 2010. Um, I uploaded a couple videos where I was rapping pretty fast and... I uh, I had always been a, a YouTube partner. You become a partner after a certain amount of views. I can't even remember how much, it, how many it was, but I was always a YouTube partner. But it would be like tw you would make twenty dollars a month, something like that. A very low amount of money, and I don't even think the concept of uh, making reven big revenue off of YouTube was even really prevalent at that point. And then I uploaded some videos and instantly saw a, a, a massive surge in how much I made per month. And I said, okay, this is just another way to bring in a good amount of money each month. And um, so I started kind of playing the numbers and, and uploading content to YouTube like a lot of other people have at this point. And like you said, it's an umbrella. There's you got to have multiple sources of income. And YouTube is just another way to help spread my message. And the thing that's good for me is, is I upload my music that I'm selling on iTunes or that I'm selling at shows to YouTube. So I'm making money when people watch my YouTube videos. They love my YouTube videos. They go to iTunes and then they download the album. They love the album. Then they come to my shows, buy a ticket and then watch me perform. And then they buy a t-shirt. And then the idea for me is that I make, music and albums that people get a personal attachment to, that it's not just something disposable you skip through a few times. I like to talk about personal subjects as well and, and go deep sometimes and, and resonate with people on an emotional level so they connect with you almost permanently. They attach to you and it's it's no longer about, hey, I like that song, let me buy it. They really want to buy into you as a person and as an artist and you try to be transparent and let them be, be vulnerable to your, your audience a little bit. And you can monetize that. You can monetize that with actual finances and then you can monetize that with, with health and with uh, fulfillment as a person as well, which I, I do both. And, and you, you didn't even stop at rap. Like you mentioned earlier, your book, Texts with Bennett, uh, you know, so you, you've, you've been creative in other outlets as well. Yeah, and uh, text from Bennett was a, a huge blog on Tumblr, and I wrote a book about it. It was a bestseller. It was picked up by FX um, to be a TV show. It did not actually get greenlit. They passed on it, but it was it was one of those things where it was a little idea that I had one day to upload uh, a picture of a text message with my my wannabe gangster cousin. And I uploaded a screenshot of the text message. He's illiterate. People got really good laughs out of it. And it was just a little two-minute joke on social media. And within a year, it was a book that was getting optioned by FX to possibly be turned in a into a TV show. And it's just one of those things where if I wouldn't have uploaded that picture as a joke, if I would have uh, let my uh, 
as Pressfield calls it, the resistance. If I would have let the resistance kick in and said, oh, I don't need to upload this. It's goofy. People might not think it's funny. Whatever it is, if I wouldn't have uploaded that picture, just taken a little chance right then and just said F it and gone for it, then I wouldn't have been sitting in the FX offices talking about a possible TV show based on my best-selling book. So it's it's just another testament to the idea that you just got to go for it. And, you know, a couple of points there. It's not just resistance. It's this idea of really trying to share in every outlet. So so you you were committed to uh, being an artist. This is, this is what Austin Kleon calls, you know, you share something every day. So you were committed to this idea of being an artist. So this was the thing you were going to, going to share that day. You weren't going to just do nothing because you didn't have a new song or something. So that's what you shared. Yeah, and I think that it's it's one of those things where I I have always wanted to try certain things like writing a book or creating television shows, which I'm unable to say the network at, at this time, but I just had a show get green lit and it's based on something completely unrelated to music. And it's always just about a Figuring out where I'm getting an emotional signal. That's a, a big thing with me. Is something that I can get behind and something I believe in that I feel like I can get a, a wealth of creative inspiration from. And if I can, then I'll go for it. And, uh, you know, sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes you, you're excited about, uh, you know, you try to upload a video where you're asking drunk people trivia questions on the street and uh, has nothing to do with music, has nothing to do with writing. It's just you having fun. And if you get creative inspiration from it and it works, great. It ends up being a TV show. Or you try a video where you're talking about how you don't like bad tippers. And you think it's going to be huge, get millions of views, and then it doesn't. And not only that, but a lot of people dislike how you talked about it. They dislike the things that you say in the video. And it doesn't really seem to go anywhere. How do you deal Whatever with that? the case may be... Oh, I was going to say, how do you deal with that frustration? I'm getting better. At this point, um, I, I kind of realized after releasing so many things and doing so many things and, and making quote-unquote mistakes, I, I you just got to let it roll off of your back because the only person that really honestly cares about it is you. Unless somebody was hurt by it and they have a reason to remember it, they're they're gonna they're gonna forget about it five minutes later. And a lot of people fail to produce because they upload a song and nobody listens to it, or they open a restaurant and nobody comes, and they feel like the lack of uh, no, the lack of numbers, the the lack of consumers, the lack of people buying into what they produced. They they feel like since. That time it didn't work, that they don't work, that they have a deep breakdown and it paralyzes people. I know a lot of YouTube artists that'll upload a video and if it doesn't get a million views every time, they're they're out of the game for six months because they just can't deal with the fear. They can't deal with uh, a fully realized uh, feeling of them producing a dud. And that's got to be something that you get over. You, you just got to get over it really fast and it's not always pleasant but it's it's reality and another press field thing is you produce enough bad ideas uh eventually a good one is going to slip through the cracks so see you just got you just got to work and and eventually one is going to stick and it's probably going to be the one that you don't uh have any expectations for in, in my history, anything that I've ever had high expectations for did so-so. And any of the things that I was just kind of iffy about always explode and blow up and do well. I, you know, I, I can totally relate to that. Um, let, me, let me ask you, though. Let's say you did three or four in a row that didn't get a million views or, or didn't even get 100,000 views. Would you start to think would, – would that resistance start to creep up? Would you start to think, oh, my God. I, I don't have it anymore. I don't have that magic anymore. No, and the best metaphor that I can uh, get for it, I'm a big fan of professional baseball, and I'm a big fan of professional fighting, um, MMA fighting, and I love professional baseball. And the baseball, baseball analogy is, is you watch a team play 162 games uh, throughout a season – 
and it can it can drain it can drain you. I mean, it can be exhausting. A lot of people in America don't watch baseball because it's it's slow moving and it's such a grind. But you'll see teams go on ten game losing streaks and just get killed, swept by every team they play for a month. Everybody's bats are cold. Nobody's hitting well. Uh, it seems like the entire team has broken down. And then after ten games. Something clicks. Everybody gets out of their own head. They kind of realize we have nothing to lose. You know, we've lost 10 in a row. There's no point in in not trying. And a a, a real emotional surge happens and they start playing pure baseball again. Instead of getting in their own heads, instead of overthinking, instead of attaching to results, instead of trying to win the game before they even play it, they just go out and play the game. And then you'll see these teams come and win the World Series. You'll see fighters that are, are, are getting pounded for four rounds, can't do anything. They can't move. Faces bloody, teeth coming out. They can barely breathe. They're on the ground just getting kicked in the face. And then in the fifth round, with 30 seconds left in the fight, they come out and dominate and they win the fight. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in just staying with it, staying persistent, trusting the process, and, and just firing off rounds and eventually one is going to get through. And the best part about it is nobody cares about the stuff that doesn't work. Nobody ever remembers your mistakes. Nobody ever comes up to you and goes, Hey, remember that video you uploaded that only got 50,000 views that was boring that nobody really cared about. No, nobody cares. They only care about the successes. When did you kind of hit this realization or hit this kind of, uh, point in your in in your trust in your voice i think it's been uh, uh, something over the past couple of years and it, it's one of the things i'll also tell you is, is for me it's been a part of uh, my skill set and it's not something i was always good at it's actually something that i was very bad at and uh i would play somebody a song one of my friends i would play them a song and if they even uh you know, batted a lash the wrong direction or, or responded with a word that I felt like didn't have that perfect tone in their voice. And I felt like maybe they were artificially paying me a compliment or something. It could have shut me down for a month. And I would say it's over. I quit. I'm out of here forever. You know, my friend Sean, who loves me very much, who's one of my best friends, who is a huge supporter of my music. I played him one of my new songs and, and you know, he, he seemed 75% of the way into it, but the fact that he didn't love it and go crazy about it shut me, would shut me down for a month. And I, I, after a number of years, you have to reckon with that. And it, it's, it, you can go one of two ways. You can either, uh, you acknowledge that it's going to be a factor that, uh, historically, the resistance shows up sometimes and it comes in any, all sorts of shapes and forms and, and creeps in whenever it can. And you acknowledge that that's going to happen. And looking forward, uh, you go, you know what, anytime I feel it coming in, I'm just going to shut it down right there. I'm going to believe that I'm going to have these core beliefs that this is going to work. Eventually something is going to get through as long as I persist, as long as I trust the process and be as great as possible. Or the other way you can go is is you let it shut you down. And I, I have gotten better and better and better at it. And it's been one of my main focuses over the last four or five years is just completely ignoring all of the noise, ignoring all of the comments. I don't read any comments on any of my videos, any of my Facebook posts. I, I, I just don't acknowledge it. All I do is I read the numbers. And then I try to create uh, an assessment based on how I feel things are going that way. But I, I, I trust the process. I've been successful with this stuff long enough at a level that I respect and enough times. And I've gone through a lot of slumps and a lot of losing streaks that I've come out of. And at this point, I just I trust myself and I, I trust my experience level and I, I, I trust my abilities to, to make things happen um, especially during uh, situations of extreme duress, which is usually when people come up with their finest material is when they're backed into a corner and scared to death. Yeah, that's really, it's really true. And you know, what you, what you were saying about your friend 
reminds me of, so I, I take my writing very seriously. And if Claudia, my wife, uh, doesn't respond perfectly on first reading, it definitely throws me, but I've, I've been getting better at it. Like it's the same type of process. Like I've been, uh, uh, you know, the resistance creeps up and can throw me off for not a month, but maybe like an afternoon. Uh, and I, ha I have to recover. Yeah, it, it, that's natural. And I think everybody experiences that. And it, it's one of the things that I've found, especially with my wife, because my wife is a very reserved, kind of laid back person. And she doesn't get excited about anything. Even if she is excited, it's not going to seem like she's excited, which is deceptive for me because I can show her uh, a new video or something and, and she'll just kind of give a, a a half-assed response like, oh, yeah, that's very nice. And I'll just go, oh, she hates it. When in actuality, you know, she maybe does like it and maybe enjoys it. Uh, maybe she's thinking about something that happened at work that day. Uh, maybe she wasn't vulnerable to the idea of seeing one of my new videos at that point. But when I show her the next day for a second time, she'll really like it. And maybe she didn't understand the full scope of what I was trying to do. And sometimes it takes, you know, you got to read something two or three times, or sometimes it just has to catch somebody in that perfect moment. I can't tell you how many songs I've heard that I just basically ignored the first 20, 30 times I heard them, even songs from like the seventies. I'll hear them on the radio and it'll be a, a beautiful summer night and I'll have the windows down and I'll be driving, you know, uh, on the highway somewhere and the sun will be setting and it's, it's perfect. And then a song, from Led Zeppelin that I never really got into will come on and it will finally be the great, suddenly become the greatest song that I've ever heard. Oh so my God. about you, that moment. And you, should do, you should do a rap to like a Led Zeppelin background. Not, not that I'm telling you what you should do, <laughs> but that would be amazing. But I, I wanted to point out yeah, also, that'd be pretty awesome. I, I wanted to point out also um, on your alphabet rap, you, the, one of the first things that sort of shows up on the screen while you're rapping is that this was the 67th take. So did you really start and restart 67 times to get that just right? Yeah, well, one of the things is I'm, I'm sure you do this too, um, even before you share this, share your material with Claudia. I mean, it, it there's a certain level that I need my material to be at before I feel like it's um, ready to be shown to other people. Right. And I would say that probably about the 20th take of that, if I had to remember, it, it was a couple years ago, so or about a year ago, I guess. Um, I would say probably by take 20, once I had the mechanics of it down, and once I felt like everything was coming together and I was executing it perfectly, every take was probably almost identical for the next 47 takes. Um, but I'm such a person. I, I care so much about nuance and just certain subtle flares. And sometimes I get these ideas or these visions in my head for how I want things to look. And if even one syllable is slightly off or doesn't have that perfect tone or doesn't hit the beat, perfectly i will redo it and it's it's a little bit of perfectionism which as we all know isn't necessarily a good thing um but i can be i can become uh a stickler for what i feel is an excellent uh execution on my part and sometimes that is uh counterproductive and will hurt me uh in that particular case i would say that i probably did about 40 47 takes of that that were unnecessary, but I was just trying to nuance it perfectly. But, and but, finally, I got it on that take. But it makes sense with your style. Like, what one thing we haven't really talked about is your particular style is seriously, I've never heard anyone rap faster than you. And I'm talking about like Tongue Twister from the 90s or, and everybody. Like, I haven't heard anybody uh, like you. So, like, when did the speed. When did you develop such speed? It's almost like a mutant power. I uh, I learned circular breathing. I got fascinated with maybe learning how to play the didgeridoo. Um, and it teaches you circular breathing. What's, and, di what's didgeridoo? Uh, and actually drop. It's a, an aboriginal 
instrument uh, down in Australia. It's like you you see something like Crocodile Dundee, that <laughs> instrument. Um, and in order to play it, you have to be able to breathe circularly. So you have to be able to inhale and exhale at the same time. And I learned fundamentals of, of how to inhale while exhaling at the same time. So a lot of what you hear when I rap that fast is vibrations coming out of my nasal passage. And I, I, I kind of, uh, you know, stick it down, stick it down, stick it down. Like it's, it's kind of this thing where I'm, I'm, I'm not really actually saying the words. I'm I'm just making vibrations off of my nasal passage and the back of my throat and using the tip of my tongue to kind of sharpen them into sounding like actual syllables. So a lot of people think that I'm using this perfect uh, enunciation and I'm saying them. my speech is hard and I'm putting a lot of force behind it when it's actual, actually the, quite the opposite. It takes about an hour of stretching my tongue and my cheeks out and loosening my mouth and lips and nose and throat and uh, getting my entire body relaxed. I'll do yoga before I do this and it, it uh, will really relax and loosen up all of the muscles. Um, I, you have to stretch your face, which I learned from Jack LaLanne. Jack LaLanne had these had this uh, video about how to perfectly stretch your face out every day, your cheeks, your forehead. And I do all these stretches and vocal exercises, and then it gets to the point where all I have to do is memorize the words, and it, and it just kind of comes out that way. Um, but there's a lot of factors involved in it. It, it. I didn't even ever plan on doing it. It was never a thing I set out to do. It was just one of those things that I uploaded one night, and it worked. And then it has continued to work over and over. I mean, it's incredible. It's a totally you're defining your own style with, with not only the fast rap, which which you can call it a gimmick, but I don't. I think it's actually very powerful. But also the fact that you're not just going up there and rapping. There always seems to be this underlying almost story, like combining Mozart with rap, combining the ABCs with rap, combining making pancakes with rap. Like you kind of take these odd combinations and the intersection becomes this work of art. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's just me as a person. Um, I, I, those are the things, those are the elements that I want to hear in music and that I want to hear in the podcasts that I listen to or the books that I read or the movies I watch. I want that signal. I'm big on emotional signal and I'm big on the, the creative element. And I, I like that. I, I like to engage the mind and, and the heart. And um, that's just kind of how I feel like it needs to be done. Um, does it get overboard? Maybe uh, sometimes. Um, but some people really gravitate towards it. So it's, you know, it's hard to say. But yeah, those are the, the elements that I, I require in order to feel like I can release something. Those all need to be present. I think it really works because you're getting uh, essentially customers or, or viewers or listeners from a variety of angles. Like they might be like I was just introduced to you because someone posted like, check out this Mo guy rapping over Mozart. Uh, so they got somebody that was appealing to. They posted it on one of my feeds and it was great. So that's how I got exposed to your work with because you do this. So it opens you up to a much wider audience. Whenever you do that. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And it's just one of those things where we live in this uh, day and age where y you just have to collect one follower at a time. And yeah, that's a good my way to put big, it. My big, well, my big thing is, is there's so many people out there that, that maybe have a lot of people that are into their material or they have a big Instagram feed with a lot of uh, followers or, um, you know, but, the material has to resonate with you, at least my material does. Uh, I'm a firm believer that it just has to leave kind of a, a, a an emotional mark on somebody, and they have to do more than than just watch it. It has to be something that makes people, you know, uh, invite you onto their successful podcast or fly you out to perform a song on their uh, number one TV show like Ellen did or like you did. You know, like it, it has to be, it has to connect with people. That's a big thing now. Um, a smart entrepreneur in this day and age is going to 
make sure all of their content really resonates with people emotionally because that lasts longer than anything else. It, it, that really it attaches to people and they become impressed with it. They like the things that you say. They're inspired by it. Uh, it it's very important in this day and age. And where, where do you think, where, what's next in the music industry? So will it continue to be YouTube? Will people continue buying stuff off of iTunes when, I mean, I could basically listen to almost any song on YouTube for free. Yeah. Uh, you know, an interesting thing about YouTube is YouTube is, is kind of battling against Facebook right now um, because the Facebook video player is... Uh, overtaking YouTube and how many monthly views it gets. You're so kidding. It's gotten that big, that fast? The, very, yeah, very fast. And it's uh, a lot of, a lot of YouTube content creators that make a living off of uploading YouTube videos, um, are having their videos poached and anybody can take any video off of YouTube, no matter whose it is, no matter what kind of copyright there is on it, you can take it off of YouTube and upload it to Facebook and it's kind of eliminated the need for YouTube. Um, I mean, not so, YouTube is a, a, a giant, so I'm not saying that, that it's going to happen that quickly. But I can see YouTube at some point going the way of, of maybe Yahoo or, or not MySpace maybe, but like becoming a much less popular site because Facebook has kind of eliminated the need for it to exist. Um, so in terms of what's next, you know, I don't know. I, I know that. Uh, after 17 years and going through so many different incarnations of the music business and figuring out how to make them all work, I know that I'm ready and I know that there's a lot of people out there that are ready, but what happens is this will transform into something completely different and a lot of people are going to fall off because they're not going to know how to adapt. So it's all about just making sure you know how to adapt and evolve and I have no idea. I have no idea what's going to happen to the music business. Every day it changes drastically, but you just go with it and make it work to the best of your ability and, and what, wear what, multiple hats. What's next for you as an artist? How do you see yourself kind of growing and taking the next steps? I finally feel like, and you know, I heard George Carlin say this almost at the end of his life um, after 40, 50 years of stand-up, but... I'm, I finally feel like I'm at that point where I'm, I'm getting somewhere. I'm starting to say the things that I want to say and that I'm, I'm starting to ex expose myself to the core ideas of what I'm doing. What those are, I don't know yet. Now, George Carlin said this after 47 years of stand-up comedy. Uh, he did an interview with Jon Stewart and said, you know, he hopes this is going, is going to take him somewhere. And I think that as long as you're constantly chasing, you're going to get to where you need to go. So I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm better than ever. I feel like I'm the most improved, um, the healthiest, strongest, greatest version of myself that I've ever been. I have a clear understanding of who I am and what I want to do. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to continue to to do the things that I'm doing. In a couple of years, I could probably look back at this uh, conversation and, and – see a lot of uh, gaping holes and, and lack of development and who I am as a person and an artist. So it's just all about evolution. So I'm, I'm ready to evolve and I feel like I'm at the top of my game right now. So, and it seems like you're pulling um, uh, kind of your uh, interests or your inspirations from a variety of sources. Like you mentioned, Stephen Pressfield, uh, George Carlin, obviously Mozart. Uh, what other, what other inspirations uh, are, are out there for you? Like who, who kind of inspired you on the rap side? What other stuff on either writing or comedy or whatever ha has inspired you? Um, on the rap side, I would say some of my main inspirations would be, uh, Andre 3000 from Outkast. Uh, there's an artist by the name of tech nine from Kansas city. Who's also kind of a fast rapper. Um, uh, Jay-Z, everybody from KRS-One to Rakim, um, stand-up comedy, uh, Louis C.K., Patton Oswalt, David Cross was a huge inspiration for me, um, when he re released, uh, Shut Up, can I curse on this? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Shut Up, you, shut up, you, 
he released uh, Shut Up You Fucking Baby in uh, 2001. That's, in my opinion, one of the greatest works of art of all time, um, especially in terms of when you think about the context that it was delivered in the time of uh, what was going on when it was uh Release. Uh, so David Cross, Pat Oswalt, Louis C.K., George Carlin, um, Patrice O'Neill was a big uh, influence comedy-wise. Um, I love, you know, Tarantino, uh, all the greats. I love professional athletes as well. So uh, fighters like Anderson Silva, John Jones, uh, Conor McGregor, who is uh, fighting for the featherweight title this weekend. Um Mike Tyson, any any great athlete, any great writer, artist, I'm going to uh, consume their material and try to see if I can take anything from it without them, without anybody noticing. You know, I think that's a. I, I do that as well. I think that's. I think that's the key. Actually, is sort of pick and choose kind of their their best elements and see how it incorporates into your into your voice. I think that's very powerful. Because you get to borrow yeah, their it's, 20 it's years. If, yeah, just, you know, if you're going to steal cookies out of the cookies jar, cookie jar, just don't leave any crumbs and don't get caught. So it's 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 all about doing it in a way where it becomes yours and nobody is going to hopefully be able to uh, directly connect you to where you were inspired from. But you have to have uh, innumerable sources of inspiration. Um I'm big into Seth, Seth Godin. Uh, I'm reading, I think I've read five of his books in the last month. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's just constantly uh, intaking different perspectives and, and great minds and, and developing yourself. I think it's very important to constantly uh, do that. I hope to do that with the, the book that you're hopefully sending me. I mean, that, this is what I'm all about. It's already on its way. Choose Yourself is, is headed in your direction. And Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. I, I've got two books going your way. So, so I can't Mac, wait. I, I'll finish them in a number of days. Mac, thanks so much. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, do I have some permission? Can I um, take a little bit of the ABC rap? And, and when we put this together, I'm going to just play that a little just so people can see, can hear. You have my permission to do whatever you want. I appreciate uh, very much you allowing me to come on and talk to you. So any of my material that exists on the internet that you want to incorporate, anything you want to do, by all means, please do it. Excellent, Mac. And um, where, can, where, where should people find you first and foremost? On YouTube? I would say YouTube or Facebook. You could just Google my name, Mac Lethal, M-A-C-L-E-T-H-A-L. And, uh, you know, I think that you'll you'll find stuff that you may enjoy. Um, so, yeah, Facebook, YouTube, the usual sources. And uh, I hope you enjoy the stuff that I do. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Mac. And it's a, it's a holiday weekend, so thanks for spending the time talking to me. And uh, have fun. I really appreciate it. I adamantly attack the alphabet with an anecdotal algorithm made of adamantium. I'm like an Adirond addicted anaconda or an alcoholic or an asshole like A-Rod. No anabolics, but I brutally and beautifully put to the banging beat. Brushing bubbly all over your booby and booty beat because I'm a carpenter. I come carving your carcass, leaving all these carfish crushed on the carpet. Crumbling chronic Colorado with my cow cronies. I cram it up full of condiments like it's a cow's only. Delicious. I didn't drive and drink. Whether diamonds or dimes, man, I'm diving deep like an electric eel. I'm elegantly eloquent in every sin I've ever earned. Just enter me in the election. I got 11 brains like an enormously educated Einstein. Well, elephant Titus in the erection. I'm free. I'm fighting with the flat-footed felon. Five falcons just flew to a fountain and fell in. Google it. Google the eye girls to get inside. Golly, G from Glasgow to Guatemala. Gentrified a hippopotamus as I am there when he heckles me in higher station. Hang down. That's all his hysterectomy and hateful hieroglyph for her like hyperbolic hubris and hang with hipster Helen. That's a hooker with the huge hips. I'm ill. I'm Icarus. I ignite idiots and idioms and issues. Jumpy jargon. I joust like Jacaray jiving. Japanese judo and jujitsu. Killing him like a kid. Gotta kill the Bram Academy for Kwanzaa. Nidica Moto, Nidica Moto, Dragon Skin. Rich like a Klingon that be kicking it at the Kremlin, but I'm kicking through your door. Call me Kramer Kardashian. Lethal. Literally, literal, little limerick. That be littler than a leprechaun. A minute's out of manifest and melancholy mayhem. Making a metamorphosis and telemechanized like Megatron. Nick Nolte, a nerdy native of Nebraska. Neither me a ninja and a nectar from NASA. Ominously. I mean, it's obvious. You see your orthodontists and oodles are onomatopoeias. Eyes walk patent. Picking a pocket, plucking a patent. I took a purple poop and patrol for pure passion. I got a question. Got a quiz you. Let's step on the gas and go quicker. Uh, we're really getting ready for the revolution. Real the rock and get the ring around the Russian rider as you resort. Serve a simple tenement and assembly. They're smoking like a sheet of pseudo fed. I'm such a swimming like a seahorse. Kitties on the tiller, tell a teller that'll toe jack. Terminator gun inside a turtle, tatter, toe back. Thugs are on American, unattractive, and I wanted as an ugly pair of Uggs. If they've eventually been in this with the wicked wombats, only rocker will win this. Getting xenophobic at the vanity. XOXO. Give me guy, yeah, yours truly not. Yes, yo. Oh, shit. I forgot C.
Zebra. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. You can live out your MasterChef dream when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that.